The Bible passage I'm going to read is in Hosea, and it's chapter 1, and that's in the Old Testament on page 901. Page 901 in the Old Testament. Hosea. The world of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. <clears throat> Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Ruhama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo Ruhama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So I've been on two weeks placement here at St. Swithin's and it's been lovely getting to know some of you better. And this morning, if the AV had been working, I would have introduced you to a member of my family. I would have introduced you to Arthur, 
who was a dog that um, we had for six years. He was named Arthur because he had R for front leg. Um, he was born without a front paw, and it was my brother's idea that we named him Arthur. Anyway, my relationship with Arthur, I think I was pretty faithful to him, and we're talking about, as Tim said, God's faithful love today. I'd feed him, I'd walk him, I'd buy him extra treats, I'd take him to the vets when he needed to go to the vets. I mean, you even go behind the dog picking up his poo. I think that's a pretty faithful relationship. So I was very faithful to Arthur. Arthur's approach to faithfulness in our relationship was a little bit different. Arthur absolutely loves people. So in many ways, you could say he's man's best friend. But Arthur is faithful to who he thinks he's going to get the best deal from. So at the dinner table, he has this sense of knowing who has the last piece of meat on their plate, and he will fix his eyes solidly on them. He will stick to them like glue. And I don't know if you've had a dog or seen them when you give them that look so he can get the last sausage. But then if that gets eaten and someone else still has food on their plate, he will quickly shift to that person. Arthur isn't faithful in character. Arthur's faithful to the person who has the ball, the sausage, the stick. Now there's a story of another dog. He's known as Greyfriars Bobby. Some of you might have heard of him. And supposedly, when his owner died, he stayed by his owner's grave for 14 years until his own death. So Bobby and Arthur have very different approaches to what faithful love looks like. And maybe in our own lives, we too have stories of both faithful and unfaithful love. A school friend who you're still close to 20 30, 40 years on. A neighbor who you've made, moved away from, but you still remain in contact with them. A teacher or mentor who went way above what would ever been expected in their role. A family member or friend who sticks with you through all the ups and downs of your life. But maybe we're also reminded of a friend or a partner who's badly let us down, a parent who wasn't there for us, a work colleague who betrayed us. The reading we've had from Osea today helps us understand God's perspective on faithful love. Hosea is a story of a marriage but the key message is God's faithful love. Marriage is used because it's the closest thing that we can probably relate to that can demonstrate unconditional love. Marriage, as we know, can sometimes go wrong. I personally have had to journey through that. And this is very much part of the story we're looking at this morning. But this morning, I'd encourage you as we go through this story, to focus on the message of God's faithfulness. The key message of Hosea is his extraordinary 
and unrelenting faithful love for his people, for you and for me. The story of a failed marriage is what God uses to help us understand this truth. So let's look at the story. Hosea's a young preacher, a prophet, that's a messenger from God. And he's told to marry a woman known as Goma. She's not any woman though. She's known as an unfaithful woman. In chapter one, verse two, we read, go marry a promiscuous woman. Hosea is told to give his love to someone with a roving eye. Can you imagine what the people around him would have said? What his family would have felt about the impending marriage? The gossip that would have surrounded him. Why would God, faithful God, ask someone to marry an unfaithful person? Well, the answer is also given in that same verse. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness. The people were living lives that were completely and utterly unfaithful to God. They'd promised to love God, to worship God alone, but they were praying and worshiping carved idols and images instead. They were praying to them for their crops to grow, yet forgetting it was God who created the crops themselves. They'd forgotten God provided their water and food in the desert, that God had remained faithful to them. God's people had forgotten their God though. God didn't abandon them. Instead, he amazingly takes it upon himself to call them back by getting Hosea to act out what's happening here in reality. Now, prophets usually would have spoken out their message simply using words, but things had got so bad, words weren't working. The people weren't listening. It's a little bit like a story of a husband and wife on a car journey. Maybe you've been there. The husband's navigating for the wife. They came up to a junction in the road. The husband has clearly told his wife at this junction she needs to turn right. But as they come up to this junction, his wife continues straight across. The husband's feeling just a little bit frustrated, maybe some of you have been there, and very firmly tells his wife, at the next junction, you have to turn right. Unbelievably, at the next junction, she still goes across. We can imagine how frustrated the husband's now feeling, and maybe some of you have been in a similar situation. In the same way, the people weren't listening to God's warnings about their unfaithfulness. They weren't changing their direction. They weren't changing their ways. Maybe they thought they could get away with saying one thing and then doing another. I wonder if that's something we too can relate to. We do or say something that really we don't want to do, but we seem to keep on doing it. In Romans 7, 19, it says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. 
There's that old, age-old saying, that actions speak louder than words. And this was very much the case here. If you think of an employee who keeps arriving late for work, verbal warnings may be given to no effect. But if you deduct the loss of hours from their wage pack, if you make it a requirement that they have to stay on late to make up those hours, suddenly they realize you're serious. Tough situations require tough measures. So God tells Hosea, marry a woman who is unfaithful so the people can recognize their unfaithfulness to God. Hosea obeys and marries Gomer. And I wonder if at this point, he believes that because he has obeyed God and done what he said, that their lives would be blessed and happy. When we follow God too, when we try and live a life that honors him, sometimes maybe we too think that that will bring us blessing and joy. Sadly, for Hosea, this wasn't the case. And maybe for us, that is true too at times. At the time, I personally felt that I needed to commit to training to be a vicar. This was a time when my son had a really tough breakup with his girlfriend. My daughter couldn't secure any housing where she was living or any work. And my own health issues got increasingly worse. Everything seemed to be falling apart at a time I was trying to follow God. But it's at these times that something much deeper is often happening. It's in the tough times that faithful love learns to grow. A marriage covenant isn't nullified when things get tough. A marriage covenant is supposed to be the assurance of faithfulness, particularly when things get tough. As we go on through the story of Hosea and Gomer, we see that Gomer quickly drifts back to her old way of life. And this is seen in the names of the children she bears to Gomer. The names of her final two children, as we heard earlier, are Lo-Ruhama, meaning not loved, and Lo-Ami, you are not mine. Can you imagine calling a child by those names? Earlier on, in Isaiah 43, we read, the Lord says, he who created you, do not fear, I've redeemed you, I've summoned you by name, you are mine. So these words that Hosea gives his children are in stark contrast to the faithfulness that God names us and calls us to. The people had shown such unfaithfulness to God that they'd severed this truth of his faithfulness. They'd cut off their sense of belonging, like a child who disowns their inheritance. Hosea, knowing Gomer's unfaithfulness though, still refuses to leave or divorce her. He chooses to remain faithful to her. If we stopped here in the story, surely that alone would be a powerful enough picture for us of what faithful love looks like. But for Goma, it wasn't. She still wasn't compelled to be faithful to Hosea. In chapter two, 
we read on that she chooses to leave him. In verse 5, it says, I will go after my lovers who give me food and water, wool and linen, olive oil and drink. But Hosea still loves Gomer. He won't forget her. We read on that Gomer passes from man to man, finally ending up with a man who cannot even provide her basic needs for her. So what does Hosea do? Does he say, ha, see, you've got your just desserts, Goma. Does he revel in her downfall? Is he delighting in the people's gossip? See, Hosea, she's got what she deserves now. You deserve so much better than her. Would he feel vindicated that her humiliation is completely in public for everybody to see? No. In verse 9, Hosea responds by going out of his way to provide for all of Gomer's needs. He provides the food, water, wool, linen, oil, and drink. He ensures all of Gomer's needs are provided for. But what is highly likely is he would have had to do this through the man she was now living with. He'd have had to go to the man that had taken his own wife and say, here, can I offer you money to pay for all of Gomer's needs? Can you imagine what that must have felt like for him? What was the depth of his love for Gomer that would lead him to such a humble act? Gomer doesn't even acknowledge this. In chapter 2, verse 8, we read, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil. Hosea pays to keep a woman who has utterly rejected him, publicly disgraced him, betrayed him, and is unfaithful to him. Hosea continues providing the care not only for Gomer, but also for the children, children who are not even his own, daily reminders of Gomer's unfaithfulness. My own mother left myself and my sister when I was just three years old. It was a devastating time for my father, but he ended up going to court to gain custody of myself and my sister. At the time, he had no idea how he was going to manage a very demanding job and caring for two young girls, let alone people's responses to his wife leaving him and her two children. I have tremendous love and appreciation for my father doing this, at probably the lowest and most desperate point in his life. Yet this feels like just a glimpse of what we are seeing here when we look at Hosea's act of love towards Gomer, God's love for his people, God's love for you and me. But even this didn't change Gomer's mind. 
she still refuses to embrace God's faithful love. So, Hosea leaves Gomer to her own ways, but he only does this as a way to draw her back. We hear some beautiful words in Hosea 2.14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. By allowing Goma to face the wilderness of life, broken dreams, broken hearts, broken lives, it lets her see the consequences of what is happening. For the Israelites, the wilderness would have represented how God had rescued them and remained faithful to them, bringing them through to the promised land in the toughest times. It's a visual reminder of God's faithfulness. And Goma's life sinks lower. She now moves from a man who can't provide for her to, her to a man who does not care for her at all. So much so, he wants to sell her as a slave. Now, being sold as a slave at these times would be similar to a very poorly managed animal auction today. She would be hauled out like a piece of meat. She would probably be placed naked in front of people that she knew. She would be looked up and down by a crowd who would then decide, is she even worth bidding on? I'm not sure I can imagine anything more degrading, anything that would make someone feel more worthless. But it's at this point, at the lowest possible point, that we see the ultimate demonstration of God's faithful love. God speaks to Hosea again and says to him, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. I found those words amazing. God is more interested in assuring Goma of his love for her than any of her past unfaithfulness. So Hosea acts out what God calls him to do again. He walks into that crowd of people at the auction. He walks through the people who thought Goma was worth nothing, who were happy to see her downfall. It was what she deserved. And he comes face to face with Goma. We don't know exactly what happens. But I imagine that he looks at her and it's not a look of judgment. It's not a look of condemnation. It's not a look of disappointment. It's the purest and most sincere look of love that she has ever known. A look that completely assures her that he still faithfully loves her. 
I imagine that he covers her naked body with his own clothing, giving her back her dignity and her worth. And in front of everyone, we read that he pays the price to take her back. He will pay whatever it takes to allure her back. Other men had used her, abused her, rejected her over and over and over again. But Hosea, acting in the way he does, places such a worth on Gomer that in many ways it is beyond human understanding. There's a well-known Christian author called Francine Rivers who has written a book called Redeeming Love. Redeeming Love is a contemporary and modern version of the story of Hosea. It's focused on two characters, Sarah, who represents Goma, and Michael, who represents Hosea. There's a moment in the story where Sarah thinks about all the things she has done, all of her past unfaithfulness. She feels unworthy, unclean, in fact, she feels more comfortable rejecting love than embracing it. And in this moment, Michael sees this, and then he gently says to her, love cleanses, beloved. It doesn't beat you down. It doesn't cast blame. My love isn't a weapon. It's a lifeline. Reach out. Take hold and don't let go of it. In many ways, this is a picture of what God is saying to us. He wants us to grasp on to his faithful love and never let go. Whilst I've been training this past year to be a vicar, there is a lot of theology teaching, which doesn't always come easy to me. But one of my tutors told me a really helpful thing a couple of months ago, and it's really stuck with me. She said, you can learn all the theology of the Bible, church doctrine, church history. But the most crucial thing you have to grasp while you're here is the immeasurable depth of God's love for you. Don't leave this place without it. As we've walked through the story of Hosea this morning, I wonder what God is saying to you and me about his faithful love for us. God's love's not dependent on what you've done or what you do. God's love is faithful despite what we've done. God loves us just the way we have seen Hosea loves Gomer. And nothing you or I can do can alter that. So as we come to the end, I'd like to use one more quote from that book, Redeeming Love. And I wonder if you can imagine God speaking these words to you personally. I want you to love me. I want you to trust me enough to let me love you. I want you to stay here with me so we can build a life together. That's what I want. 
Maybe this morning, some of us need to take that first step into choosing to trust God's extraordinary, overwhelming, and abundant love for us personally. Maybe there's some of us who have been Christians for years, and we know in our head that God does faithfully love us, but we've never let it capture our hearts. We find it easier to believe in his unfailing love for someone else than believe in his unfailing love for ourselves. Maybe some of us are facing tough times where we're finding it really hard to believe in God's faithfulness. Maybe we're facing things no one else knows about that we've never even verbalized. Hosea reminds us God's faithfulness always remains. He will always be faithful to us, whatever feelings, situations, or circumstances we are facing. Tim Keller, a well-known theologian, says, God is trying to say to all of us, I love redeeming the worst situations. I love redeeming the hardest cases. Go ahead, try me. So this morning as we come to an end, let's just take a moment of quiet now. And let's listen to see what God is saying to us personally about his faithful love for us. Maybe it's some of the words from the passage we read Maybe it's something in the story of Hosea and Gomer that you can really relate to. So let's just take a moment to let God speak to us personally about his faithful love for us. And then we're just going to enter into a time of worship where we're singing again about God's faithful love for us. <laughs>